Amen. Good morning, everyone. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord? Can you say amen today? Now, I know uh, we are still getting used to this whole online church thing, but I want to challenge us uh, to not think as consumers. You know, as consumers, which uh, really is the mark of our culture, is consumerism, uh, we can see this Sunday morning live stream as a resource that we can consume at any time. You know, because it's recorded and it's going to be up on YouTube, I don't have to get up on Sunday morning and be a part of it. Uh, I can just uh, tune in later on. I can listen on my way to work. I can. And what happens is, you know, you think to yourself, I'll tune in Sunday night and then Sunday night come. I can get it Monday. It doesn't matter. It's there. I can get it any time. I want us to continue to think as disciples of Jesus Christ and disciples of Jesus Christ are those who have made a commitment not to forsake the gathering when we gather together to worship. And even though this is online, it is still our gathering. And so I want to commend all of you who are here to get this live, and those of you who watch this later, if at all possible, I want to exhort you to get up on Sunday morning and to join the gathering, because this is an important component of our discipleship to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> well, we're in the middle of a new series, just a very short series, three parts, called New Wind, and it's about God giving us uh, new encouragement, new strength, new vision, uh, new wisdom to run in the next leg of the race. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is an important season in the history of our country. This is an important season in the life, in the history of the body of Christ, and in the history of the world. And so we must be alert. We must be self-controlled and alert. We must be listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. We must be preparing ourselves. You know, I'm getting a lot of questions about eschatology these days, and I'm going to be preaching a series of sermons on the book of Revelation starting in September, going to mid-October, a seven-part series on the book of Revelation uh, starting the first Sunday in September. So I'm excited for that. But in the meantime, <clears throat> I believe there's some things that God wants to speak to us today. I'm going to piggyback on what my wife uh, began to speak about in the offering talk here. I'm going to read two verses of scripture, three verses of scripture in Genesis 41. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wet the, wet the old whistle. Genesis 41, 50 through 52. I'm going to read it here. It says, Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Verse 51. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Verse 52. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So what we see in the way Joseph names his two sons is his theology. He has his firstborn son, and he names him Manasseh because he says, God made me forget. The word Manasseh means to forget. So his first son, he names him forget because he says, all of the, the junk that I went through in my life being rejected by my brothers, beaten, thrown in a pit, stripped the coat of many colors off of me, sold to Ephraimite slave traders, take, I mean, um, um, uh, Ishmaelite slave traders taken to Egypt and sold to to Potiphar, uh, becoming a slave in his house. His wife betrays me, and then I'm thrown in prison. And all of those years, that 13-year period of time of of hardship and betrayal, of being isolated, uh, being cut off from my father and my little brother, uh, from everything that I love, 
all of the pain, God caused me to forget it. And to us, typically, that's the definition of healing. I believe I'm healed once I forget something. When I can stop thinking about it, then I'm healed of it. That's our definition of healed. But how many of you know, give me an amen in the comments, if you know that just because you forget something doesn't mean you're healed of it. Just because you stop thinking about something doesn't mean you're healed of it. Sometimes you have to go through a much deeper process before you can be healed. But this is Joseph's theology. He says, first, God made me forget. And then he said, he has a second son and he names him Ephraim, which means fruitful, or as my wife said, double prosperity. Now God has blessed me. First, he heals me. Then he blesses me. That's Joseph's theology. First, he heals me and makes me forget all of my pain, makes me forget all of my past, makes me forget all of my weaknesses. He breaks all of this junk off of me and he fixes me up and then he blesses me. He makes me prosperous. He gives me double prosperity. He gives me blessing. He makes me fruitful. He blesses my work. He puts me in positions of authority and influence. We tend to have it in our minds. We tend to agree with Joseph's theology here. We tend to believe that in order for God to bless me and make me fruitful and heal me, I mean, bless me and make me fruitful, the first thing he has to do is heal me. God needs to fix me. And how many of you have ever had the thought that, God, I know you can use my life, but first, these are the things that you need to fix. You see, we tend to be very conscious of the weaknesses in our lives. We tend to be very conscious of the broken places in our lives. We tend to be very conscious of the places and the ways in which we tend to fall short in our lives. And if you're anything like me, you have a tendency to desire above all things that God would fix you, that God would heal you, that God would cover the broken places in your life and make you, you whole. And all of us, I, I would dare to say that there's not a single one watching me today or listening to me that doesn't have this thought that I could do so much more if I was just healed in this one place. That I could accomplish so much more, that I would be so much more fruitful if I didn't have this one broken place. If, if, if God would just heal me in this place, I could be so much more fruitful. We tend to think that our lack of wholeness or that our weaknesses are the hindrances to the blessing of God breaking out in our lives. And whenever there's an absence of some type of blessing that we desire, some type of breakthrough that we long for, we always tend to attribute it to our weaknesses, don't we? Well, it's because I'm weak here. It's because I failed here. It's because I'm broken here. It's because I'm missing this. It's because I don't have this. And we, we are constantly assessing ourselves according to our weaknesses. You know, it's interesting. Paul has this way of talking about weakness that is so foreign to us. Paul says uh, that he had some weaknesses that he cried out to the Lord to remove. And God told him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Literally, Paul says, God, you see these weaknesses. I could do so much more for you if you would remove these weaknesses. You see these broken places. I could do so much more for you if you would heal me of these broken places. And God literally said, no. 
I'm not going to heal you there because my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul responds to that by saying, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, Paul does not share Joseph's theology. Paul realizes that God started to bless him and make him fruitful long before he ever healed him. And Paul understands, actually, that there's some, there's some areas of our lives that God will never heal, not until we're with him in glory. And the reason God will not heal us in certain areas of our lives is because those areas of weakness are actually opportunities for desperation. Without that weakness, there's a certain level of desperation for God that you would never have. And so those weaknesses often are the instrument through which God draws us into deeper communion with him because they make us desperate. Um, what I wanted to share with you today, hold this thought for a second. The book is always better than the movie. Think about that. The book is always better than the movie. And there's some reasons why this is true. Number one, the movie's over too quick. The movie is two hours, but the book, it takes you days, even weeks, to read. And the, re the, the problem with the movie being over too quick is that the movie leaves out too many important details. Like when you read the book, you always get a level of detail that the movie can never have. It, it's never included in, in the movie. The movie's not long enough. The movie also ends up changing core elements of the plot in order to hastily get to the end. Like, the writers of the movie are like, we gotta finish this at an hour and a half tops. And so we gotta cut this out, cut this out. I remember watching the movie The Day of the Jackal, but I had read the book The Day of the Jackal. And it was crazy because, um, I'm sorry, The Born Identity, of course. I, I love The Born Identity. I read the trilogy, tr trilogy in high school, Born Identity, Born Supremacy, and Born Ultimatum. And so when the Born Trilogy films came out, The Born Identity came out, I couldn't wait to see the movie. I'd been longing for years for them to make the movie because I'd read the book. But when I watched the movie, I was so disappointed because when you read The Born Identity, the core um, villain in the book is not even in the movie. You know, so it's like I kept waiting for Carlos the Jackal to show up and he never shows up in the movie at all. And, and so the, the plot is completely different. Why is the plot different? Because the movie needs to get finished quickly. And then third, uh, lastly, the language of the book causes you to experience the world of the story in a far deeper way than the picture can. You know, they say a picture's worth a thousand words. I say a word is worth a thousand pictures. Right? They say seeing is believing. I say hearing is believing. This is what I'm trying to say to you, is that God is trying to write a book, and that book is the story of your sanctification, the story of you walking with Christ, your faith being built. He's the author and finisher of your faith. He's writing it as a book. What we want is for God to make a movie about our sanctification, we want it to be over in two hours flat, hour and a half, two hours. But God is writing a book, and he's writing a long book. And God wants us to live by the book and not by the movie. And so Joseph, he's thinking it was a book. And even, I mean, he's thinking it was a movie, and even then it was a long movie. You know, he's like 30 years old, 
between 30 and 37 years old when he starts having kids. He was 17 years old when he had the dreams, the dreams of his brothers coming and bowing down to him. And so he's nursing these promises of God. But instead of his brothers bowing down to him, the opposite happens. They beat him and throw him in a pit, strip the robe off of him, and then sell him as a slave. And so Joseph is just, the whole time, he's a slave in Potiphar's house, and then he's a prisoner. Uh, he's waiting for the dream to come to pass, and he's wanting the dream to come to pass quickly. Have you ever been there where you're like, God, I, I want the dream to come to pass. You've given me these dreams. You've given me these visions. You've given me these ideas. You've given me these hopes. And, and I just want it to come to pass quickly. And so, God, whatever you need to heal in my life, heal it. Whatever you need to fix in my life, fix it so that you can quickly bring me into the promised land of fulfillment. That's, that was Joseph's heart. And so when he arrives in Pharaoh's court, he's made prime minister over Egypt after he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. He's in charge of everything. He's second command to Pharaoh himself. Nothing happens in Egypt unless he approves it. And now Pharaoh gives him a wife. And he starts having kids. And he's thinking, this is it. I'm healed and I'm fruitful. I've made it. Some of us have come to places in our lives where we thought, this is it. I've got it. This is the fulfillment. God has finally healed me. God has finally set me free. God has finally set me up to prosper. He's finally put me in the right place. I finally come out of the prison. And then what happens in the very next season is when he turns 37 and all of a sudden the famine comes on the land, the next thing he knows, his 10 older brothers show up. And he, he I mean, we were reading through this story the last couple nights and we're going to finish it in our family Bible reading time tonight. Uh, but what you see happening with Joseph is all of a sudden he's angry and, he, angry and he's bitter and then he's, he's telling, he's, he's imprisoning his, one of his brothers and sending the other nine back, don't come back without Benjamin and Benjamin comes back and he sees Benjamin, he's got to go in the other room and cry and then he's angry and then he's, you know, and he's doing this whole charade with his brothers, putting their money back in their sack, now they're scared they're going to be killed. I mean, it, it's, and then he's weeping in their arms and screaming and crying, so, he's, he's crying so loud that Pharaoh can hear it in his court, Right? I thought you were healed. What happened, Joseph? I thought you were healed. I thought the Lord made you forget all of that. You know, sometimes the best thing that can happen for you is weaknesses that you thought you had gotten over come back to the surface in your life. Stuff that you thought you were healed of all of a sudden begins to break your heart again. Sometimes that's the best thing that could happen to you. Because sometimes that's the sign that you actually are entering into the place of fulfillment. Isn't it interesting that if you look emotionally at what's happening to Joseph, it's the worst moment for him. Because he now has to relive all of that pain. Seeing those ten brothers of his, he has to relive all of that pain. Hearing them talk in the Hebrew language and thinking they, that he doesn't understand them, they say to one another, God is paying us back for what we did to our brother Joseph. Don't you remember how he cried out for mercy but we didn't listen to him? emotionally, this was a traumatic moment for Joseph that he would have much rather skipped. But if you look from the outside as we do when we read the story, we realize that this moment was what actually set him up for the fulfillment of his destiny. Because his destiny was not simply to prosper, but to preserve the line 
of the promise that came through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This famine would have destroyed his family. And so God orchestrated a trial to set him up to preserve the line of promise. It was actually bigger than his prosperity. It was about promise, not prosperity. All of us have areas in our lives that we would love to see God fix. And that's why self-help is a multi-billion dollar industry. If you really want to make some money, pour yourself into helping people ask and answer the following question. What's wrong with me? You ever ask that question? What's wrong with me? Honestly, I ask myself that question all the time. And I ask God that question. And I ask my spiritual mentors that question. What's wrong with me? I asked my wife that question. She asked me that question too. What's wrong with you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but for real though. What's wrong with me? You ever ask that question? We all think something is wrong with us at some point. But see, as believers in Jesus Christ, the answer to that question is very simple. See, as a believer, if you were to ask me, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? I would respond to you. The first question I'd ask you is, well, first, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if the answer to that question is no, then, then the answer is simple. What's wrong, the only thing that's wrong is that you are estranged from your place of fellowship with God because of your sin and unbelief. That's the only thing wrong with you. And we can fix that right now. As a matter of fact, if you are listening, if you are watching me right now, and something in your heart, you feel like there's something wrong with you, we can fix it right now. We don't have to wait till the end of the message. We don't have to wait till the soft music plays. You can fix that right now by simply opening up your heart and inviting Jesus to come in and be your Lord and Savior and forgive you of your sin and wash you and make you clean and make his dwelling in you and bring you into fellowship with the Father. That's all you have to do is invite Jesus to come into your heart to declare that you believe on him. The scripture says if you, believe, if, you declare, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And the definition of salvation is if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have surrendered your life to him, there's nothing wrong with you. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. But you say, I know, I know, I know, but I still got stuff, quote unquote, wrong with me. And that's true, in a sense. But all those are, are unredeemed patterns of thought, of feeling, and of behavior. Unredeemed patterns of thought, feeling, and behavior. And now there's a process called sanctification that will go throughout the rest of your life. Sanctification is the process by which the Holy Spirit, who has already redeemed your soul by the blood of Jesus, begins to redeem every thought, every feeling, and every action of your life. And that process of sanctification, it continues throughout the rest of your life. This is why, you know, Paul says it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, coming to faith in Jesus Christ doesn't fix the experience of all of your weaknesses immediately. 
but it gives you a new strategy for dealing with them. Because before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, your strategy for dealing with your weaknesses was self-help. Your strategy was to try harder, was to, to read more books. Um, and what happens is you get worn out trying to fix yourself. And some of you are worn out trying to fix yourself. Some of you are beaten down and broken because you've tried everything. You've tried waking up earlier. You've tried going to sleep earlier. You've tried reading more books. You've tried exercising. You've tried fasting. And, and no matter what, you only experience change for a short window of time. And then it seems to snap back to that place. And I'm simply telling you that your strategy needs to be different. The strategy is not try harder. The strategy is really wait upon the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30 and 31. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, another translation says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? It means to hope in Him. It means to believe that He is coming. Waiting upon the Lord starts with the confident assurance that He is coming. And that whatever it is in my life that's broken, He is coming. That there's no way He's going to leave me in this situation. He is coming. That there's no way He's not going to heal the broken places of my heart. He is coming. And that even the places in my heart that He does not heal, if I walk with Him, He's going to cover those areas because He is coming. He's going to protect me in those areas because He is coming. It is believing that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is believing that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose because he is coming. You see, you have to walk by faith and not by sight because if you walk by sight, you're going to look at the weaknesses in your life and you're going to say, this is terrible and I've got to do better and you're going to feel overwhelmed and discouraged and hopeless. And what happens is you're going to lose vision. And, and once you lose vision, you lose discipline. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be broke, busted, and disgusted, as Bishop Jakes would say. But if you're walking by faith, it doesn't mean you don't see the broken places in your life. But it simply means that what you believe about the import of walking with God is more powerful than what you believe about your weaknesses. You see, some of you have more faith in your weaknesses, in your brokenness, and in your failures than you do in the power of God to redeem you from it. And walking in faith is simply having more trust in the power of God to overcome my weaknesses than I do in my ability to fall into my weaknesses. Some of you believe that you have weaknesses that are too great for even God to fix. And there's, a, there's an idolatry of weakness and failure where we begin to worship our weaknesses and failures. We begin to think that they're stronger than God. We begin to think that they're mightier than God. We begin to think that God is not able to prosper us until he breaks us free from this or that. And this was the great fallacy of the life of Joseph. That Joseph thought, God has to heal me before he prospers me. But God reversed that theology quick, didn't he? Because as soon as his brothers come in, he starts falling apart and everything starts falling apart in his life once again. And what happens when it's all over in Genesis 48, his father Jacob and his whole family comes to Egypt. Joseph situates them in the land of Goshen. And Joseph goes to visit his father Jacob with his two sons, 
Manasseh, and Ephraim just before Jacob dies so that Jacob could lay his hands on them and bless them. And he stands Manasseh, who's the older son, at Jacob's right hand, and Ephraim, the younger son, at Jacob's left hand. Because Jacob's going to lay the right hand of blessing upon the older son. And the left hand of subordination on the younger son. But Jacob does something here in Genesis 48. He crosses his hands and he puts his right hand on Ephraim and he puts his left hand on Manasseh. And, and Joseph stops and says, no, 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 dad, what are you doing? You can't do that. Put your right hand on Manasseh. He's the older son. And Jacob said, I know he's the older son. I, I want to look at this passage in Genesis 48. Jacob says, I know. I know he's the older son. Look at this. Verse 18. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall also become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. Watch this, verse 20. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. He set blessing and prosperity before forgetfulness and healing. He changed Joseph's theology. He said, Joseph, if you could even just look at your life, you would see that God blessed you before he healed you. If you would simply just reflect upon your own experience, you would see that God made you prosperous, that God used your life, that God did stuff for you that you didn't deserve. Before he ever fixed you or healed you, he blessed you. And the stuff that you thought he needed to fix you of was no hindrance to his blessing in your life. Jacob put... Ephraim before Manasseh. And today God is calling you to put Ephraim before Manasseh in your own heart. To stop worrying about the stuff in your life that God needs to fix and to start trusting God. And to allow that broken place in your life to drive you to a place of desperation because that desperation is what causes you to wait patiently for God. You see, waiting patiently for God does not mean waiting passively for God. Waiting patiently for God is a very active thing. It means that that desperation drives you to, to the place of pursuit where you begin to seek Him, where you begin to look at your weaknesses and, and the responses to cry out, God, if you don't help me, I am lost. If you don't help me, I am lost. But Lord, because I'm trusting in you, I know that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. That desperation will drive you to the place where you begin to confidently assert your confession of faith that he is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Stop trying to fix yourself. Stop fixing and start trusting God. I am here to tell you today that God stands at the door waiting not for you to fix yourself up. We're always trying to fix ourselves up, but God's not waiting for that. God is waiting for us to come to him just as we are.
and to keep coming to him just as we are and to trust him to be our fixer, to be the author and the finisher of our faith. And that means you see weaknesses in your life, embrace them, embrace them, and even rejoice in them. Rejoice in them. What does that mean? That doesn't mean to accept them and just say, oh, well, this is just me. I guess I'm just, you know, messed up in these areas. No, to embrace them simply means to embrace my powerlessness, my personal powerlessness in the face of my weaknesses. But it also means to embrace the faith that believes in God's power. And some of you have come to the end of your rope. You've come to the place where you're tired where you can't seem to believe anymore, where you can't seem to trust anymore, where you can't, you can't even seem to pick yourself up and try again. And I'm telling you why you're tired. You're tired because you've been doing it by your own strength and in your own power. But the scripture says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I'm telling you, there's a new wind coming. There's a new wind, but it's coming by faith. That new wind is not a new uh, current of energy that will empower you to do something for yourself but it's simply a new current of faith that will enable you to believe God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. It's a new wind of faith. It's a new wind of expectation that he who began a good work in me. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8 when he says, The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we know not what to pray for as we ought. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. I'm telling you that the Spirit of God cannot begin to help you unless you embrace your weaknesses, unless you come to Him with your weaknesses. What we try to do is fix our weakness and then present ourselves to Him whole, and it never works. All we're doing is burying our weaknesses like Adam and Eve, covering ourselves with fig leaves and then pretending we're well. We, we got to stop pretending. We got to stop pretending. We got to stop trying to name and claim our... our, our, our uh, are healing and simply come to God just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me just as you are. God, here I am. I'm not trying to cover it anymore. I'm not trying to deny it anymore. I'm not trying to pretend it's not there anymore. No, I'm come to you confessing that this is me. It's me standing in the need of prayer, but I'm ready right now to receive your grace. And I believe that your grace is greater than my weakness. Your grace is greater than my broken place. Your grace is greater than my emptiness. Amen. Some of you believe your weaknesses are greater than God. And that's really what that sense of hopelessness is. Hopelessness is the idea that your weakness is greater than God. But if you always believe that God is greater than your weaknesses, then you can't help but hope. And a new wind is coming. A new wind of restoration. But it comes, it's the book, not the movie. It's not a new wind that lasts for the next two hours or the next two weeks or the next two months. But it's the patience to walk with God and say, God, however long it takes, whatever trial, and this is the beautiful thing, when you look at the life of Joseph, <laughs> he was betrayed by his brothers. But God used this trial, this extended trial, not only to release him into his destiny, not only to free him, but to redeem his brothers. And at the end of it, it wasn't just Joseph walking in his destiny, but his brothers walking in theirs as well. And I'm telling you that some of us are walking through a trial. Many of us, matter of fact, all of us, we're walking through a trial right now. And sometimes in the midst of that trial, there's tension between brothers. 
Sometimes there's bad blood between brothers. Sometimes there's pain between brothers. But I'm telling you that the trial is not only going to release you into your destiny, but it's going to redeem your brothers and your sisters. And I'm telling you, God has already orchestrated the details of the fulfillment of our destiny. We simply have to walk in faith and in trust with Him. Bow your heads with me. Bow your hearts with me this morning. And I want us just to pray for a moment. And I want to say once again, if you're here today, as my wife could begin to make her way upstairs, baby, I need you up here for a moment. If you're watching me today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm here to tell you that He is here, that He is standing right at the door of your heart. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you would hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. I'm telling you that your heart is longing for God. And you can spend the rest of your life trying to fix yourself. You can spend the rest of your life trying to improve yourself. You can spend the rest of your life trying to heal yourself. Or you can open your life to Jesus. Open your heart to Jesus and let him come in and make you a new creation. You see, being a Christian doesn't mean that you don't have any more broken places. It simply means that you're not alone in your broken places. It simply means that Jesus has come to dwell with you there and you've invited him in to make his home with you. And I'm just going to invite you right now to close your eyes. Come on in, baby. And to say this prayer. And let's invite Jesus to come into your heart right now and be your Lord and your Savior. Let's pray. Just repeat after me. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. And I declare out loud with my voice that I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he arose from the dead for my salvation. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus is Lord and I receive him into my heart today walk with me and teach me to walk with you in his holy name I pray amen now listen if you prayed that prayer I want you to drop a note in the chat right now just say I prayed the prayer just so that we can see your note and pray with you and believe with you I believe that we, we, you, there's a community of believers here who will stand beside you and strengthen you as you walk with Christ God is doing a powerful work in your life and just remember that the day you come to Christ is not the beginning of Christ's presence in your life it's the beginning of your awareness of his presence in your life because he's been with you every step of the way simply waiting for you to open the door. Amen? Come on in, baby. Do you want to say anything before we end the service? Yeah, I just want to encourage every one of you. I think uh, for Benjamin and I, too, you know, we had a meeting with our mentor, Mike Perkinson, and uh, Benjamin also had a meeting with our pastor, Robert Daniels. And, you know, sometimes, like, when, you know, we want to, like, really, when we are faced with our weaknesses and um, failures, right, we do ask that question, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And and sometimes, like, like, I even ask, man, if I knew even yesterday what I know now because of your counsel, like, less 
people will struggle. <laughs> you, you know, yeah. I can help people better and more and represent God's love better. You know, but what I realized was sometimes when we focus in our own weakness so much, then the enemy could get in and use his lies That's to right. to take us further away from the faith that we already possess. You know, almost feeling like, man, if you married a better woman, mm-hmm, or if mm-hmm. my daughter had a better mom, mm-hmm. or maybe our church needs a better pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, like the enemy could get in there. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Benjamin doesn't want another better wife. No. He wants me. That's right. Alethea doesn't want a perfect mother. Mm. That's not me. She wants me, mm. you know. And just like that, uh, I just feel like uh, in this season, God is saying, pursue me look at me Mm. have faith in me that i am doing a great work in you Mm. and through you i will release Mm. my kingdom right and so i just want to encourage you that you are not alone thinking that you're hopeless helpless Mm. you know i want you to know that we are all in this together as we lift our eyes unto god as we pursue deeper intimacy with God, communion before pleasure, communion before meaning. As we pursue God, not only is he going to heal us, but he's going to resurrect our That's faith. Right. That's right. Yeah? That's yeah, right. Yeah, I just wanted to share that yeah. with you all. Listen, as we close, I see mm. seven of you that indicated that you prayed the prayer in the chat. Mm. I want to encourage you to click that link, www.livinghopecc.us slash I prayed. Uh, That link is in the chat. If you can just throw it in the chat again, team, um, click that link and just let us know so that we can walk with you because this Christian life, this journey with Christ is not something that any of us can do on our own. We need a community around us. And so we want to be that community to you. We want to strengthen and encourage you in your walk with Christ. I just feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit right mm-hmm. now. I just feel the presence of God mm-hmm. right now because because all of heaven is rejoicing that you Amen. prayed that prayer. Amen. Amen. All of heaven mm-hmm. is rejoicing. Every angel mm-hmm. in heaven is rejoicing mm-hmm. that you prayed that prayer. And mm-hmm. so I, I just want to encourage you and say mm-hmm. that this is the most powerful decision mm-hmm. that you can ever make. Mm-hmm. And remember, it doesn't mean that all of your problems are over. It doesn't mean that all of your brokenness is immediately healed, but mm-hmm. it does mean that Jesus is with you in the midst of it mm-hmm. and that you never have to be alone. Mm. That it's not about self-help now. It's Mm. about God help. Mm. It's about God being your help. Him Mm. being your rock and Mm. your salvation. Mm. Him being your light and your salvation. And you don't have to fear. Mm. And so I just want to strengthen and encourage you today. We are just so Mm. thankful for the opportunity to gather as the body of Christ. And even if it's online, it doesn't Mm. matter. God is with you. I believe he's coming into your room right now. He's coming into your home right now. He's Mm. encountering you by his spirit Mm. right now. I just Mm. feel the presence of God Mm. drawing near to your heart and Mm. showing you that you are loved and Mm. that you are known by God and that Mm. you are not alone. Mm. And never again will you be alone. Mm. Never again will you be alone. Mm. Never again. And some of you have felt alone. Even some of you who have walked with Christ, even for years, but you felt alone because you've forgotten that Mm. he is with you, that you've Mm. forgotten that he is your rock and your salvation. Mm. You've forgotten that you don't have to do it alone. You see, the problem is when Mm. we try to do it by our own strength, Mm. we act as if God is not real. Mm. When we try to do it by our own strength, we act as though God is not mm. with us and that's when we start feeling alone mm. because we're acting alone yeah, or we're yeah, thinking alone yeah. but you simply have to change your mindset mm. God mm. is my refuge and fortress a Amen. very present help in time of trouble Amen. therefore I will not be moved
move. Amen. Though the earth give way and the mountains mm. fall into the midst of the sea, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. God mm. is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Mm. God will help her even at the break mm. of day. Mm. Be still and know that I am God. Mm. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Mm. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God Amen. of Jacob is our Amen. salvation. Amen. And so I just want to strengthen and encourage you. Yes, yes. Amen. Amen. Listen, we're going to end this service now. I'm just mm. going to say a word of prayer and mm. we're going to end it. But if you want special prayer, I'm going to invite you to hang around yeah. after after we end this, this service. We're going to officially dismiss in just mm. a moment. But I just feel the presence of God and the yeah, power of God yeah, here. The yeah, Spirit yeah. of God is here. Mm. And so, Father, I just speak mm. your blessing over everyone under the sound of my voice. Father, I pray that your presence would break forth into every home and into every room that you would, Father, break through the Amen. discouragement and yes. the fear, that you yes. would break through the depression yes. and the hopelessness and the unbelief yes, and that you Lord. would release a new current of faith. Mm. God, let it be like a current of electricity mm. in every soul. That God, that your presence mm. would come a, come alive in every heart and in Amen. every mind. Amen. God, I thank you, God, for those who prayed the prayer today. Mm. For those who opened their heart to receive Jesus mm. as mm. their Lord and Savior today. I pray, Father, that you would surround and protect them from the evil one, O oh God. Mm. Mm. That you would be their light and their salvation. Amen. That you would strengthen Amen. and encourage Amen. them in every way. Mm. Holy Spirit, we need you today, God. Mm. We need you. Mm. And Lord, I invoke your name over each and every one. And mm. I speak your blessing mm. over each and every one. Amen. May the Lord make you like Ephraim mm. and like Manasseh. Jesus, Jesus, I bless you today with the blessings of heaven mm. and the blessings of earth. Mm. In Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name. Amen. 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 Mm. God bless you. God bless you. Mm.